You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club, a home for those interested in international trade, shipping, procurement, logistics, and air freight. In fact, all things supply chain in the Americas, Asia, and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by your host, Mike King, and produced in partnership with Demurco Express Group, a global 3PL that specializes in managing logistics to, from, and within the Asia-Pacific region. Hello everybody, I'm Mike King, this is Freight Buyers Club and this is part two of my interview with the fantastic Bronson C. Over a 45 year career, he was chairman of not one, but two of the world's biggest shipping lines, Evergreen and Yang Ming. As ever, you can find all episodes of this podcast at thefreightbuyersclub.com where you can subscribe to receive each new release direct to your inbox. We're also available on all podcast platforms, including Google, Apple and Spotify. And you can also find us on YouTube. Now, let's get straight to it. Bronson, we want to hear your views on the future of container shipping and what all that means for shippers. But maybe can you give us three conclusions from the COVID years from a shipping line perspective? Three lessons that maybe they should have learned and I mean, one I would say was like, obviously pandemics are great for demand, but maybe you've got some different lessons. Well, you see, uh, I witnessed by myself because the outbreak of the uh, COVID pandemic started by end of 2019 and I retired on the end of 2020. I know all the stories. Well, you see, uh, the shipping carriers also, they were affected by this shortage of the space, shortage of the containers. And because of the several reasons I mentioned quite earlier, if you want me to keep a certain kind of conclusion, I think the shipping carriers, they are not to the so-called advantage while sugar beneficial. Because this kind of supply chain disruption not caused by shipping carrier themselves, okay? Not caused because of the uh, relief package and the retaliatory consumption caused these supply chain disruptions. And because of that shipping carrier, in order to meet the customer requirement to offer them enough space, Shipping carriers also try their best to place a lot of uh, new order, not only the ship, also the equipment, container. Also, they charter a lot of the uh, new tonnage. Doesn't matter if you're so high, the charter rate. But doesn't matter how long the owner require, maybe they require you, if you want to charter basically at least three years, which is very high charter rate. Shipping carrier, they didn't have a choice. In order to meet or satisfy the customer's requirement, they do whatsoever they can do. Okay. Right now, maybe I heard or I saw that the higher ocean freight costs so many shipper consignees unhappy. But I would like to emphasize this kind of reason to be unhappy, not caused by shipping carrier law. That's caused mostly from the supply chain disruptions. Also, shipping carriers try their best to do whatever they can do. Of course, for the coming few years, for instance, right now, the shipper or consignee trying to uh, conclude the service contract for the new term starting from 1st of May, 
at the opposed side need some kind of, I mean, the uh, understanding or discovery in order to meet both sides' requirement to sign a service contract. I think there's one good opportunity for this TPM meeting to be had end of this month. So I think most of shipping carrier will attend this meeting together with a lot of shipper consignee also will participate in this event. I think they have a lot of time to communicate with each other to try to solve any kind of unhappy uh, what the, uh, the experience. Um, another issue, uh, I think uh, most of the shipping carriers who place a lot of ship, new ship to be delivered this year, next year, or after next year, got to be transited or got to be managed properly. For those redundant, if I say the demand not so much for the coming this year, next year, then you can imagine the uh, supplies this year will reach up to 8.2. Now, next year, we're 8.8%. That's become an additional burden for the shipping carry. And that's those new tonnage. The purpose for them to order is going to replace a lot of the charter vessels, which they charter maybe during the past seven or 10 years. That's the time for them to replace the new tonnage. Okay, instead of those uh, charter vessels. Otherwise, if the additional tonnage, I think uh, most carriers, they are going to suffer this kind of a burden. Or well, that's the consequence created by these past two years. So we're going to see a lot of that tonnage that was chartered in at high rates pass back and probably laid up or scrapped, and, and that's going to be replaced by these new vessels. Yep. So that makes a lot of sense from the balance sheet. Just going back to your point there about how Containerland tried their best to cope with all of those disruptions. When I speak to shippers or forwarders, I think they understand that there's not much the Containerlands could do about containers being stuck in the Midwest rather than being available in China during that period or vessel queues off the West Coast and then latterly the East Coast, problems at ports in Europe. I think people will get that. What they normally say to me, though, what was frustrating for them is not honoring contracts, not picking up the phone, rolling of cargo, not knowing where their cargo was. Do you think maybe that container lines could have treated customers better and there's lessons from that? Well, I think the uh, shipping carrier or shipping company, they would not provide a service within one year, only one year or two years. The vessel they are going to build as far as the life is concerned will last at least 25 years. That means to keep a great relationship with any ship or consignee is a must. You cannot jeopardize the relationship with the customers. So during the past two or three years, as I mentioned earlier, the shipping company tried their best to satisfy with the requirement from the customers, but really a lot of area really out of their control. You see, not the shipping carrier try to avoid providing the better or best service to the shipper or consignee. It's not uh, the purpose. So I want to emphasize, while they are so regret, those kind of unhappy things happened during the past two or three years, but I think the shipping carrier has a sincerity trying to overcome this kind of difficulty during the past two years. Okay, right now, seems like uh, the whole K 
chaotic situation almost finished. All the shipping development, my personal point of view, we're going back to the uh, normalities. So uh, the good relationship between shipper concerning and the shipping carrier, I hope this issue will be finished as possible as both sides. So a better relationship moving forward. Yes, of course. You see, nobody can survive without each other. We need a cargo, house, not a we. I'm the shipping carrier, I retire already. The shipping carrying the <laughs> cargo and uh, uh, ship concerning neither the, the vessel to make the cargo to be movable. Am I right? I'll take your word for it. You're the expert. As the expert as well, we talked before about that supply-demand balance. And you're, you're positive that we will see some pickup in demand and you think container lines will have got ways of managing the supply side of things. As those rates plummet, some analysts have suggested that we might be looking at a rate war. Presumably, you don't think there will be a race to the bottom in that way, like we've seen in other cycles of container shipping in the past. That maybe it happened the uh, past some years. There's some uh, shipping carrier. What we saw on the newspaper, they prefer to have a more marketing share than making money or not. But I think this case has been over. Nowadays, it's very difficult to find any announcement made by shipping carrier. In order to keep their market share, they are trying to low down the ocean freight, or even they are going to lose money. Only purpose is they are going to keep the market share. I don't think it is right, right. okay? So uh, I hope in the future, everything will go back to normal. The supply demand will decide the shipping carrier to be profitable or not. And uh, or foreseeable the futures, the demand wise, maybe this year's, as I mentioned quite earlier, the uh, 1.4% to be increased, I hope will be more by end of this year's one CPI has been lowered down to a certain level. Also over the stock will be digest as soon as possible. For instance, January, the uh, purchasing the, the power has been increased 3% compared in the last months. So it looks like the American people, especially, they are going to digest more overstock cargo, and maybe they have more money. Also, unemployment ratio in the United States, what I saw the newspaper, is the lowest unemployment ratio during the past 50 years. So Latin, you can imagine the people have job um, with the low CPI gradually. I think they are able to buy more stuff. And next year's the uh, Afnana forecast, the demand, I'm talking about Afnana demand always global, not only limited to the uh, United States. But next year will be an uh, increase to uh, a 2.2%. If Chinese status in terms of export activity back to normal and the war is going to be stopped between Russia and Ukraine. So I think next year, the 2.2% the uh, cargo demand probably will increase. While the supply growth ratio, if shipping carrier, they are waiting or they are capable to control the space down to a certain level, just like they can differ those new technology to be uh, delivered to 2025. I think next year will not be so bad. Probably will be better than this year's. But anyway, I'm not fortunate. 
I just trying to provide those kind of data I gather from some media, some newspaper, plus my own experience during the past 40 years to make a search, my own uh, comment. As you say, yeah, it's very interesting. We've got this economic downturn. It, historically, it's been pretty unusual to also have high employment rates, and that, as you see in the US and also in Europe. Let's see how that, that works out there. If I can just ask you a question about the Container Shipping Alliance system. We've seen uh, the two M Alliance, Maersk and MSE, announce that they'll get divorced in January 2025, although there's some sounds coming from Maersk that they would like that to happen a bit earlier. Do you anticipate any changes in the alliance system apart from that one? Well, in terms of the uh, global shipping status, I don't think they will change quite a lot. The reason why is, you know, how many percent of MSC's uh, uh, tonnage contribute to the uh, 2M alliance? They just uh, what the uh, contributed twenty five percent of their total capacity. Mars gonna only contribute thirty nine percent of their total capacity to two N. In other words, those two big giants still kept their own identity to uh, run their own service. So today they announced they are going to dissolve this two M. Basically, it doesn't affect then not too much, even to the global shipping industries. That's the number one reason. Number two, the MSCs, they are hey, market share 17%, while Moscow has 16%. You know very well, MSC up to now, they still have, what, 230 new vessels on the book to be delivered this year and the next year and after next years. Once those new tonnage to be delivered, probably their market share will be about 20%. That's enough for them to act as independent carriers without accompanying the new tonnage or additional tonnage from any partner in the shipping industries. Most nice during the past two years, while the uh, MSC uh, charter or built a lot of vessels, but Mansklein was not hurry. He spent a lot of money earned upon the market during the past two years to acquire a lot of the uh, terminal, airline, trucking, and warehouse. You know very well. They tried to provide a so-called end-to-end service to satisfy these requirements from the customer need end-to-end service. I think this direction is heading by the Musk 9. It's quite different from the uh, MSC, okay? But a lot of people ask MSC or Musk 9 whether they are going to invite several or some the uh, carrier to join them as another one alliance. Well, officially alliance, I don't think so, but depends on necessities. Probably they will uh, join with some uh, regional a network service carrier to join with Maskline or MSC in order to provide a uh, comprehensive network service to the customers. That's it. In other words, I don't think they will organize another one new alliance, just depend on the necessity. 
This podcast is proudly produced in partnership with DeMurco Express Group, a trusted provider of global shipping and contract logistics services in Asia, Europe, and North America. DeMurco's particular strength is in Asia, where it gives shippers the freight capacity and local market expertise to streamline freight movements to and from the region, particularly for Trans-Pacific Lanes. With 130 forwarding and logistics locations across China, India, and Southeast Asia, DeMurco connects Asia with the world like no other global 3PL. You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club. Bronson, what do you think of these different strategies? You mentioned MERS heading down this integrated path. Some other carriers have said they're going to stick to these port-to-port services. Do you think we'll see anyone else following MERS, perhaps? Yes, it's a matter of fact. Evergreen Cuba has done this for more than 10 or 20 years already. Back into 1989, while well, the uh, Evergreen, at that time, we were acting like independent carriers, not a member of any alliance. Besides that, also we inaugurated the uh, airline service starting from 1989. And later also we have our own steel factories. Also we have our own terminal facility globally in order to provide the so-called bring forward the service to provide the so-called one-stop service. But my point of view, basically, I quite appreciate, or I quite, uh, I think this kind of uh, strategy implemented by Musk is quite uh, right directions. Not only uh, a shipping carrier provide the uh, portable service, if any shipping group at the same time also their own bring forward the department or own for the company who can provide a one-star service. The stop service is value-added service. That's quite profitable. If you compare the shipping carrier alone, just providing so-called a portable service, you've got to head to head to fight with your competitors. Not so much flexibility or not so many diversity. Once the market is not good, share you will feel very difficult in terms of your financial status. But if you have some kind of a diversified business, probably they can help you. When the shipping base is not good, then the uh, airline service to carry the cargo can give you some kind of the help in terms of a financial result. So I think the another carrier like CMA, also they have a similar strategy like uh, Mask 9. And Evergreen had done this quite a long time. So sometimes, that's uh, I experienced by myself, sometimes when the uh, marine size is not a good share, but the uh, airline size can help in the particular year with more profit to offset the loss coming from marine size or vice versa. I think the strategy done by the mask line is quite smart or quite right directions. But I don't mean MSC is doing the right or not right, but because they think they have a good capacity, they can manipulate the size of the MSCs. They have their own way. But also, I realize MSC also provides some kind of a, a logic service by themselves. But in terms of a capacity, I think a mask line is more aggressive than the other carriers. Interesting. Well, we'll watch how that plays out. Um, one of the common challenges that all these shipping lines will face with is on the environment and meeting stringent emissions targets over the next few decades. Do you think the container lines are moving quickly enough towards those goals? Or maybe put it another way, do you think they're moving quickly enough to meet the sustainability demands of their customers? 
Okay, most of the machine in the old machine carrier definitely they will have the direction required by IMO by 2040 or 2050 in order to reach zero carbon emission. Not only all the shipping carriers try to fulfill their requirement in order to keep the earth clean. Also, they have to satisfy with a lot of customers who ask, as long as you as a shipping carrier, I would like to ship my cargo, you had to reach the requirement asked by the IMO. Right now, there's some kind of organization has been established probably almost one year ago. So uh, let me give you an example. Based on the existing fleet, shipping carry or operate, there are 30 percent of the in terms of the TU or not amount of volume of vessels. Almost 30 percent of the vessel has retrofit the so-called scrap. Okay, and two percent. Of the existing vessels adopt the so-called LNG as energy. Okay, that's existing. Those you just mentioned earlier about seven of uh, forty-two new vessels, equivalent seven point five million TUs. They are about forty percent of the new order. They are going to install the uh, scrap. Okay, in order to cope with the uh, requirement by IMO. And also, there are thirty percent of the new order from those seven point five million TUs. You are going to use LNG. Ten percent of the new order, they are going to adopt the so-called missile, led by the Moscow and the CMA. Those are shipping carriers. So I think no doubt at all, all the shipping carriers will head this direction to protect the Earth as clean as possible. Do you think, Bronson, that LNG and scrubbers is the, the final solution to reach those IMO targets? Or do we need to see a greener fuel emerge as a cleaner fuel, a zero emissions fuel, ammonia, hydrogen? Do you think we will have convergence on one particular fuel at some point in the future? Well, you see, the, uh, you, you, I think you, your indication is quite right. Because the LNG is still, well, it can reduce 20% of the carbon. To be emission, not a hundred percent, but now they even measure same problem. Maybe not a final solution to reach zero carbon emission by end of twenty fifty. But you have to consider the period between right now to twenty fifties, and all the shipping carriers try to compromise because also yeah, for those the shipping carriers try to use more dual dual energy like LNG or measure. Also, the shipping can have to consider the supply. Okay, now the LNG and measure maybe are the two major energy to be supplied, maybe somewhere there. But the other 100%, I mean, no carbon emission energy might not be easy to be located and aware. And also the amount of quantity can, can meet the requirement or not by all the shipping carriers. By 2050, that's a big issue. But anyway, all the shipping carriers, they try to open their eyes to watch the development. Thank you, Bronson. And just finally, I just want to turn to digitalization, if I might. Earlier in February, we heard that the Digital Container Shipping Association announced its commitment to 100% adoption of DCSA digital standards-based electronic bill of lading by 2030. And some of the carriers have announced that they're pushing on with this as fast as possible. Now, 
Switching away from the transfer of physical paper bills, according to DCSA, will save something like $6.5 billion in direct costs for stakeholders and enable 30 to $40 billion in annual global trade growth, which all sounds absolutely fantastic, but makes me think, why didn't this happen before? No, well, logical questions because technical example, Yang Min, also one of the member under the DCSA, 2019, a lot of time I still was the chairman. I approve. Now we show uh, become one of the founders. We are very happy to hear recently they are already announced they are going to uh, complete by 2030. Because of that, the uh, Shifin Society will implement this policy of Soko Yi. A bill of lady would be uh, beneficial for quite a lot, the amount you just mentioned. But why cannot be uh, expedited as soon as possible? Because there are several reasons. The first reason is the EB of lading considers marketable uh, securities. That's not uh, the uh, traditional bill of lading. That's the E. No, of course, the uh, traditional bill also is a marketable security. But E, we saw paper. So consider this quite a valuable marketable security. So I need some time to deal with this project. The second reason is that this kind of year of bill of lading had to go through the bank to bank. The bank from home loading size and also the bank on the top discharging size. Uh, Whether they are the contribution or they are cooperation. Okay. And the third reason is also we need the government will join this EAP of ladies, legalized approval. We need that they are government's approval who join in this kind of uh, issue of EAP of ladies. So that need some time. That's the reason you saw the article published by uh, DCSA. Hopefully will be completed by 2030. And is there anything else? Well, well. Maybe digitalization, but maybe technology more general. Is there any big improvement out there from that side of things for container shipping, do you think? And I promise you've been very generous with your time today. This is my final question. Okay. The future, as long as any kind of new technology, as long as it's beneficial for not only for shipping carrier, also for the uh, custom industries or for any society, I think a shipping carrier will be very happy to develop. Well, I think the most high issue is ESG. I think uh, that's a very high issue. So shipping company will head in this direction. Also, another IA. The IA also is another one issue the shipping carrier tried to develop aggressively. Another one issue, probably you don't know, a lot of shipping carriers try to implement so-called VR, the virtual uh, realities. By using this kind of tool, which we can use this from these low orbit satellites. Airs low orbit satellites. Um, but if we have a successful the VR, we can uh, know the only telephone to real try to find out any problem happening in the vessel on the sea. For instance, that if there's some cruise here. But before you just ask a doctor to talk with the uh, crews on the vessel, in the future, you can use a VR to try to find what kind of problem caused the sink to these uh, crews. Um, also, we can uh, discover those kind of even engine problems 
Okay. Not only we, we use people the uh, telephone, also we can use VR to have the more clear or detailed investigation about why the visual engine has something wrong. The most kind of technology is going to uh, developing nowadays. Hope we can successfully implement those kind of a new uh, technology. So smart shipping will essentially it will benefit the uh, predictive maintenance operations, but also crew welfare. Oh yes, excellent. Well, let's hope all that moves forward very, very quickly. Bronson Shi, thanks very, very much for joining me on the Freight Buyers Club. It's been a, a pleasure. Wow, also my pleasure to join with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Freight Buyers Club, produced in partnership with the Demerco Express Group. Please subscribe and follow on your platform of choice or sign up for delivery to your inbox at thefreightbuyersclub.com. This podcast wouldn't have been possible without the fantastic editing of Karen Ball and Tom Matthews. And finally, thank you all for listening. The next episode will be with you soon.